so they're, they're in, in the living body. There are and there is the, uh, the, the mind, which is called uh, the common sense, and the indriyas, the powers of a, a living being, are the, the five instruments for gathering knowledge, the instruments of hearing, touching, seeing, tasting, and smelling. These are the, the, the powers of gathering knowledge. And then there's the karmendriya, uh, 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 the instruments of action, uh, that is to say, the, the, the mouth and the legs, genitals, and the anus, the sound uh, for um, sound production, uh, and also for eating, uh, the two hands for manipulating, legs for locomotion, and then instruments for reproduction and for evacuation of waste. These are the, called the karmendriya. Each of these senses have their presiding demigod. So the mind is, all of these are under the control of the, of the mind. Uh, and the mind itself, uh, hard to control, doesn't come under anybody else's control. He's vishma, fearsome. Uh, as you say, causing fear because of his, because he is indeed Deva. He has God-like powers. He is stronger than the strongest. And anyone who can uh, uh, can, can uh, bring that mind uh, under control, that person is Deva Deva, the God of the God master of the senses uh, using, using it that way. Vishma uh, Charavari Thakur says um, controlling the mind so someone might object but controlling the mind depends upon controlling the senses. When you're trying to fix your mind in one sense it see something but he says that is not so. The senses and their devotees, their controlling deities, are under the control of the mind. The mind is fearsome, uh, even for yogis, because it is stronger than the strongest. He who controls the mind is a controller of all the senses. Uh, and then he quotes from the, uh, uh, from the Vedas, the Tantariya Brahmana. Where this verse, this verse that we're reading today, alludes to that one. Manaso vashe sarvam idam babuva nanyasya manaso vasham adiyaya vishmo hi deva sahasa sadiyam. So this is this verse is obviously referring to this one, when, which uh, says, when the mind is controlled, everything is controlled. The mind is not controlled by another. The mind is fearsome, stronger than the strongest. So in this verse, the, the, uh, the Brahmana is actually almost quoting the Aitariya uh, uh, Brahmana. So the use here of Deva, the Nogar senses, this is a because in the Vedic view, the material world is organized in a certain way. And in that organizing is that the material world is like a living organism. It is the universal form of God. God is there in his own transcendental abode. When the world is created, the world is made, uh, we find in the Bhagavatam almost a cosmic embryo- uh, embryology. Uh, and, and so uh, the Davids, 
the, the universal body, we are, uh, as individuals, we are to that cosmos as individual cells are to our own body. And in our own body, there are hierarchies of central powers that regulate each of the regular functions of the individual. There are cells in our body, somehow they're all working together. That's because there's a, some system, there's something, there's something in your body that regulates all the cells in the stomach to do their thing. There's something that regulates all the cells in the blood vessels to do their thing. You know, there's like hierarchical levels of control in our body. And the universe is also alive. And it, 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 it is this uh, Vishwa Rupa, the universal form of God. So when they, they what, what the, that, that cosmology which is given very fully in the Bhagavad Gita in the fifth canto is here assumed. And that's when they say Deva, uh, uh, the, uh, even in the dictionary, by the way, the Sanskrit English Dictionary, one, one meaning given to Deva, the senses represented by their presiding deities. Uh, so that's, that's in, in, it's, that usage is found in the Mundika Upanishad. Uh, so this is a, 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 an understanding. So we, we know from, from Bhagavatam that there are 11 demigods or Devas in control of the, these ten senses, which I've already mentioned, plus the mind uh, has its own presiding deity itself. And then there's two more in charge of uh, beauty and ahankara, the, the subtle body of the living entity uh, is, is called, which generally, and we just say swapping in English, is the mind, but it's the antakarana. Uh, uh, which consists of manas, buddhi, ahankara, and chitta. Uh, manas meaning the mind, strictly speaking. Buddhi, the higher faculty of discrimination. Ahankara, uh, one's idea of oneself, sense of individuality. Uh, and then chitta, here meaning consciousness or contaminated consciousness. And when the universe is produced, uh, what appears, the first thing that appears, there, there is uh, the pradana, which is the uh, undifferentiated primordial material energy, God's energy. And then it's energized by the glance of the Lord, which takes the form of time. And then there appears uh, in, in uh, that, that energy makes what's called Mahatakwa, or Mahan, appear within Pradhana. And from that Mahatakwa, that primordial matter, then it starts to differentiate. And the, what appears is Ahankara, this. this uh, translation, but that ahankara is then manifest in the mode of goodness, the mode of passion, and the mode of ignorance. Uh, and then these undergo uh, further transformations. And then uh, uh, ahankara in sattva-guna, the mode of goodness, produces the mind and actually the whole system of the devas. The, the controlling system of, of the universe, uh, and so on. So they all have their presiding deities, and actually, like for example, the presiding devata of, uh, uh, of our mind is Chandra, the moon. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, Chandra uh, is actually, uh, according to the Bhagavatam, uh, and the presiding deity of Buddhi is Brahma. The presiding deity of false ego uh, is Rudra or Shiva. That of Chitta is Vishnu himself. Uh, these are the 
uh, presiding deities. And then it's mentioned in the Bhagavatam that there are, associated with each of them, there are the deities to be worshipped, who's actually uh, a, a manifestation of, of the Lord himself. So Vasudeva is the deity to be worshipped for the purification of consciousness. Vasudeva meaning Krishna, Vishnu. Uh, for Ahankara, of which the, 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 the um, presiding deity is uh, Shiva, nevertheless, who is to be worshipped and who Shiva worships is uh, Shankarsana. These are the four, Vasudeva, Shankarsana, Prajuna, and Ariruddha. Uh, Prabhupada calls them the eight camps uh, of, of, of Krishna, this quadruple expansion. And he says, it says in the Bhagavatam, 424.36 in the Purport Prophet says, Lord Krishna, by his quadruple expansion of Vasudeva, Shankarshan, Tajuna, and Aruda, is the Lord of psychic action, namely thinking, feeling, willing, and acting. He puts acting in there too, uh, in the term of psychic action. So the active senses are actually involved in this. So then, then, then in charge of Buddhi, the presiding deity of Buddhi is Brahma, but then uh, Prajuna uh, is the deity to be worshipped. Uh, uh, Shankarshan is in charge of integration and disintegration, the force of gravity, the manifestation of Shankarshan. Prajuna is in charge of uh, growth and maintenance, the deity of growth and maintenance, and Aniruddha who is the deity uh, to be worshipped for control of the mind, uh, uh, is the master of the senses in the mind. Uh, so this is, this is what we, we uh, under, understand about this. So here the mind is the deva-deva, taking it as the one who is in charge of the senses. But then, uh, of course, uh, for ourselves, uh, as devotees, we worship Krishna for the control of the mind. Uh, otherwise, we would not be able to do very much. But uh, but um, the whole um, uh, so we'll go into go into this a little further about controlling the mind. Uh, so uh, actually, uh, Kapila Dave uh, de- describes these things. If you're interested in, in looking at his description uh, of the chapter of Yuhara and so on, you can look at Bhagavatam 226, uh, Canto 3, chapter 26, and verses 21, and so on. This is explained by Kapila Dave to Devahuti. So here, uh, the, uh, uh, this is the idea that, that uh, the senses are actually under the control of the mind and, uh, and that uh, uh, the goal should be to become deva-deva, the master of all the senses, by becoming the master, mastery of your, your mind. And now he goes on, text number 48, is describing here uh, further the, the nature of the mind. Sam durjayam shatru asaitya jegam arum tundantam navichitya kipchit purvansya sad vigraham atramajaya nitran vidasina viripun vimudha he says, failing to conquer this irrepressible energy, excuse me, enemy, failing to conquer, conquer this irrepressible en- enemy, the mind, whose urges are intolerable and who torments the heart. Many people are completely bewildered and create useless quarrels with others. Thus, they conclude that other people are either their friends, their enemies, or parties indifferent to them. You have to remember that the context of this whole chapter is laid in the 
previous chapter where Uddhava uh, asked Krishna, one thing that is very difficult to deal with in the world is hostile and inimical people and quarrel with them. How are we supposed to, to deal with that? And so then we've had the story of this Avanta Brahmana who was really his own family became his enemies. I mean, he did enough to deserve it. But anyway, and then when he when he renounces everything and sets his goal on spiritual life, he then becomes tortured by a whole bunch of hoodlums and stuff like that. And read about that. Uh, uh, so here he's saying, and he's saying that these people are not the problem. That's not the problem. His bad circumstances are not the problem. It's the enemy. Is this shatru? The enemy is actually one's own mind. And he's durjayan. He's difficult to conquer. So that means we're in the body with our own mind, and we are living in the same body with our enemy. But one should not get very comfortable. <laughs> because most people don't realize this and they are being controlled by their enemy which is leading them into more and more hellish conditions of life as you can see but people mean by freedom nowadays is freedom to do whatever the mind dictates and they're heading that way and you can see what the result is so, but it says this mind whose urges are intolerable vega Remember, you may remember the Vajra Vega, Manasakroda Vega, the urging, the pushing uh, of the mind, anger, and words. And those are all listed. Those Vega, uh, uh, and they are. Just, they use the word here, Arun Tundam. Uh, uh, Arun Arun Tundam, which is translated here uh, as capable of tormenting the heart, torment the heart. Uh, uh, the sense of it is actually making a wound or touching a sore. Like if you have a, already a sore or wounded place and then you dig in it further, I mean, that's sort of like that kind of excruciating, I mean, real pain, pain on top of pain. It's already a sore, maybe some more sore. So this arum kingdom uh, is... Uh, is, is, is uh, uh, I, I like that. Um, and then, uh, uh, so those who have failed to conquer over, they create asat uh, vigraham, which are very interesting. It's translated here as useless quarrel. But of course, asat means also unreal or uh, not existing, false, it could be false and useless, all those things, in different contexts. But this, this vigraham, uh, uh, discord, quarrel, strife, war, uh, but think of it this way, of unnecessary conflicts, when they say useless, unnecessary conflicts that are based on envy, projected evils, uh, uh, false and distorted intelligence, misreading of others' intentions, looking for fights. There's so many of the quarrels in the world. This is the age of quarrel. There's no real basis for them. But nevertheless, because uh, because of the mind who's uh, tormenting the heart, uh, you become and then there's useless uh, quarrels. And then when you look at other people. Three groups. These are my allies or my friends. These are my ripun, my 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 rivals, my enemies, my uh, 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 yeah, uh, uh, inimical people. Um, and then there's Dakin. Those are the ones that are indifferent. Those that belong to my party, those that belong to the Potosi party, and those who don't care one way or the other, but we've got to get them to vote for it somehow or other. That, that's, that's sort of the, I, this is the three groups. 
so this is this is what's created is this this configuration of the world into these kinds of people. Uh, 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 and then there's always difficulty uh, with the, these categories. Um, uh, concerning conquer the mind, conquering the mind, uh, in the sixth chapter of uh, the Bhagavad Gita, uh, uh, there is, uh, in which Krishna is discussing Dhyana Yoga, yoga, yoga uh, meditation. He says here in text 5, uh, the text 5 is, is very interesting because it uses the word Atma a lot. Udharit Atman Atmanam, Atmanam Avasat Prayet, Atmaiva Yatmano Bandur, Atmaiva Lipur Atmanaha. When Prabhupada translates this, what, with the literal meaning, one must deliver the self by the self. <laughs> uh, and not degrade himself. Uh, the self is the friend of the self, and the self is the enemy of the self as well. That's because you have ideas, different ideas of what the self is. So Prabhupada translates it uh, one must deliver himself with the help of his mind and not degrade himself. The mind is the friend of the conditioned soul and his enemy as well. Uh, uh, and then Prabhupada in the purport Prabhupada says the word Atma denotes body, mind, and soul. So it can denote any of those things. There's a meaning of the term, the connotation is self. But the denotation, the things it refers to in different contexts, is different. One context is the mind, other context is the soul, other context is the body. When I say, I know I'm not my body, but still in some context, when the knife slips, I say I hurt myself. Uh, I'm, I'm referring to the self, myself is the body in that context. So he says the word atma denotes body, mind, and soul depending upon different circumstances. In the yoga system, the mind and the conditioned soul are especially important. Since the mind is the central point of yoga practice, it's not physical exercises. Those are supposed to help you, calm you down and situate yourself somewhat in the mode of goodness. But it's not about the body. Of course, the way it's been commercialized in America, of course it's about the body. I read an article in the New York Times on yoga and it's about all these ladies, not just ladies, men and ladies, trying to get the yoga butt, <laughs> which is some kind of, anyway, toned up rear end, but <laughs> keep on yoga practice. That's not the goal of yoga. <laughs> uh, Atma is the mind. The purpose of the yoga system is to control the mind and to draw it away from attachment to sense objects. Uh, so this is the, the point uh, of yoga. Prabhupada says later on, in fact, the pure soul is entangled in the material world because the mind is involved with the false ego, which desires to lord it over material nature false idea, I am the enjoyer, I am the controller. Therefore, the mind should be trained so that it will not be attracted by the glitter of material nature. And in this way, the conditioned soul may be saved. One should not degrade oneself by attraction to sense objects and so on. So then, uh, the, uh, the next verse, uh, uh, Prabhupada says, for him, he translates it this way, for him who has conquered the mind, the mind is the best of friends, but for one who has failed to do so, his mind will remain the greatest enemy. So if the mind is conquered, then it's your friend. Our own method in Krishna consciousness is to 
engaging the mind in the service of Krishna. Uh, thinking, feeling, and willing my thinking is about Krishna. My activities are about Krishna, the things I want to do. Uh, my feelings are invested in Krishna. Uh, so I don't try to stop thinking, stop feeling, and stop willing, but rather I, I connect all these activities of the mind to Krishna, and they become controlled. When the habits, because the other thing the mind is, is where we form habits. And if we have that, that classical conditioning of Pavlov's dogs, where he you ring a bell whenever you feed a dog, and then after a while you just ring a bell and the dog starts to salivate. It just gets hungry from hearing the bell because it has this association of ideas that come together in the mind. So there's habits. So if one has the habits in the mind of sense gratification and of material enjoyment, then those habits are what have, they become fixed in the mind and they become very, very strong. That thing is never to form those habits. But if you're not brought up properly, like most of us are not, then you have to change your habits. And that's a struggle. When the habits are now habits of devotion, and that's my automatic way my mind is programmed, you think of the mind as a computer that you can program. The programmer is the booty, the intelligence. You program it for, for sense gratification. It goes one way. You reprogram it for spiritual life. It goes another way. When it's been trained for spiritual life, it automatically becomes your friend. So that's the sense. So here when he's talking about the mind as the enemy the difficult to conquer, this is when it's not uh, done in this way. Uh, so this is the, uh, then this sequence in the uh, Gita concludes uh, uh, in text 7, the one who has conquered the mind, the super soul, the paramatma, that, that word is used in the text, the paramatma, uh, approached completely. For he has attained tranquility. Uh, uh, the word here is pras, uh, prashanta. When the mind actually becomes completely peaceful and free from all material disturbances, actually the, the, the uh, paramatma uh, starts to become manifest. To such a, he goes on, to such a man, happiness and distress, heat and cold, honor and dishonor are all the same. So here are the big things, the dualities of the material world, happiness, distress, heat, cold, honor, dishonor, all these different things that push pull us around. But that's not the source of our happiness anymore. The source of our happiness is inside because one has controlled the mind, it has become tranquil. Uh, consciousness ha has become pure, and in that pure consciousness, the super soul, the soul of the souls, also makes uh, its appearance. Uh, then you're all set. This is self-realization and God-realization go together. So those three, those three texts, Online, what is actually supposed to happen. But uh, so one has to undertake this idea of conquering the mind. It used to be people were... kind of discipline. I mean, really, you have to do to, to some... Uh, uh, like like uh, for a, a little child... If you, you know, if you had children, at a certain point you have to train them that when they wake up in the morning, uh, they should brush their teeth. They don't want to do it. It's a hassle. They're tired, they're, they're sleepy, it's not fun to breathe. Uh, but you, 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 as a parent, you try to give them the habit. When you get up in the morning, you brush your teeth. 
and so on. Uh, we, we do these things. Uh, uh, it's time to go to school. You have to get up and go to school. Oh, the bed is nice and comfortable. School is unpleasant. I don't want to get up. No, you have to get up. And if they never get that far, they're going to have a very difficult time. And that's some control of the mind or any kind of long-term goal-directed activity, you have to have some amount of mental control. Uh, uh, so the, the apex of that is actually spiritual realization, and not just enough to attend school to make money, and then you go out of control on top of that with the money, but, but uh, uh, this is it. So that's, uh, this is... Uh, uh, is consideration of the uh, people who don't control their mind out there in So now let's continue. Text 49. Uh, having described it as the, the unconquerable enemy. Uh, text 49, he says, a person who identify with this body which is simply the product of the material mind, are blinded in their intelligence, thinking in terms of I and mine. Because of their illusion of this is I, but that is someone else, they wander in endless darkness. Or here further. Deham Manu Mantram the, the, the body, manaha matram, uh, 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 coming simply from the mind, it's translated here. Uh, when uh, uh, this body, uh, we have accepted it, we have accepted it, how does it come from the mind in the sense that, that uh, uh, when we... Uh, uh, leave this body at the time of death and we are a conditioned soul and we leave us full of desires and, and disappointments and wanting to do this. So many things I wanted to do with it. The mind is uncontrolled and loaded with desires. When I, when I leave the body at the time of death, the soul goes, I go, the self goes, but takes with it the, with, with the subtle body. And then, according to that subtle body, this is also explained in the Bhagavad Gita, according to that subtle body and its desires and its wishes, then you get the appropriate gross body. So in this sense, uh, the, the, the body is a product of the mind, its condition, and so you want to do certain things, you get the appropriate body. Human body, maybe. Could be an animal body, a plant body, according to you want to be a big, big meat eater and like to devour raw steaks. Better, you know, there's other bodies for that that are better than the human body, the tiger or whatever. Um, yeah, so all those bodies are there for a purpose. Every kind of body you see in the material world, there's a mind behind it that, that requires that body. So, so you identify with the body, which is a product of the material mind. Uh, that I this 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 accepting is mama aham, mamaham iti. That's in the Bhagavad mahaham iti manyate. They think like things. I wish you played a little part, but has discussed this mamaham, my. And I. They think in terms of I and mine. Uh, because of this illusion, I am this person, this is uh, somebody else, 
uh, they wander in endless uh, darkness. Brahman may not by illusion. And again, Duran Pare, unsurpassable darkness. Vishma uh, Chakravarti says, in this way they wander in samsara, repeated cycle of birth and death, accepting uh, the body produced by their mind. They think this is my body, this is my son, and so on. They wander in samsara, this tamasi uh, uh, darkness. He glosses as samsara. So this is the this mamaham. It's worth I think a few places where where this has been uh, discussed in the Bhagavatam. Uh, this is two, five, thirteen. Uh, this referring here to the uh, illusory energy of the Lord. The illusory energy of the Lord cannot take precedence, being ashamed of her position. But those who are bewildered by her, that is the illusory energy, always talk nonsense, being absorbed in thought of it, it is I and it is mine. Mamaham iti durdiyam. Dia is thought that dur means bad thinking. <laughs> and that thought is called mamaham. Uh, so first, Prabhupada, the, the verse is saying, uh, in front of the Lord, this illusory energy is embarrassed and stays behind, cannot take precedence, but everybody else becomes bewildered. And Prabhupada says, nonsensical talks are not supported by the principles of Vedic literature, uh, and first-grade nonsense talk is it is I, it is mine. A godless civilization is exclusively conducted by such false ideas such, and such persons without any actual realization of God except a false god or falsely declare themselves to be God. That's one idea. I am God. To mislead people who are already bewildered uh, by the living energy. Those who are before the Lord in front of God and who surrender unto him cannot be influenced by the deluding energy. Therefore, they are free from the misconception of it is I, it is mine, and therefore they do not accept a false God or oppose themselves as equal to the Supreme Lord. Then in another place, I have time, uh, this is uh, again Second Canto, uh, uh, chapter nine, verses uh, two and three are dedicated to this uh, idea. Um, chapter two says, "The illusion living entity appears in so many forms offered by the external energy of the Lord, while enjoying in the modes of material nature." The encaged living entity misconceives thinking in terms of uh, I and mine. Mamaham itti manyate. So, Prabhupada gives a very interesting description of transmigration and how you, to the kind of bodily and form in 8,400,000 varieties of bodies. And today he says, the different positions of the in the material world under multifarious manifestations of bodies are due to the misconception of my and I. The karmi, the authority worker, thinks of this world as mine. And the jnani wants, wants to become liberated from God, or things like that, thinks I am everything. The whole material conception of politics, sociology, philanthropy, altruism, and so on, conceived by the conditioned souls, is on the basis of this misconceived I and mind, which are products of a strong desire to enjoy material life. 
Uh, and then he goes on in the next verse, uh, which describes how a living entity becomes situated in his constitutional glory and begins to enjoy the transcendence beyond time and material energy. He once gives up the two misconceptions of life, I and mind, and it becomes fully manifest as the pure self, self. And Prabhupada says about going on about I and mind, uh, barely manifested in two classes of men. In the lower state, the conception of mind is prominent. In the higher state, the misconception of I is prominent. In the animal state of life, the misconception of mind is perceivable even in the category of cats and dogs who fight with the same misconception of mind. Uh, in the lower stage of human life, the same misconception is also prominent in the shape of it is my body, it is my house, it is my family, it is my caste, it is my nation, it is my country, and so on. And in the higher stage of speculative knowledge, the same misconception of mind is transformed into I am. It is all I am, etc. <laughs> so, uh, there are many classes of men comprehending the same misconception of I and mind in different colors. But the real significance of I can be realized only when one is situated in the consciousness of I am the eternal servitor of the Lord. This is pure consciousness. The whole Vedic literature teaches us this conception. Then he goes on to say, the misconception of I am the Lord or I am the Supreme is more dangerous than the misconception of, uh, of mine. And it goes on in there a little bit. Maybe I have to stop now. Uh, let me just see what's in this place I've marked in the third canto. <laughs> uh, Oh, yeah, this is good. Uh, here, uh, the prayer goes, O Lord, persons who are entangled by undesirable eagerness for the temporary body and kinsmen, who are bound with the thoughts of uh, mine and I, that's and mamaha are unable to see your lotus feet, although your lotus feet are situated within their own bodies. But let us take shelter of your lotus feet. Prabhupada says, the whole Vedic philosophy of life is that one should get rid of the material engagement of gross and subtle bodies which only cause one to continue in a condemned life of miseries. This material body contains, continues as long as one is not detached from the false conception of lording it over material nature. The impetus for lording it over material nature is the sense of mine and I. I am the Lord of all I survey. So many things I possess, and I shall possess more and more. Who can be richer than I in wealth and education? I am the master. I am God. Who else is there but me? All these ideas reflect the philosophy of Ahamma, the conception that I am everything. Uh, we said before, people have these God projects going on in bigger little scales, to inflate their own ego, and uh, I am the controller, I am the enjoyer, everything belongs to me, and, and so on. So we'll stop there. Uh, this, is, this is the end of this section, uh, which discusses the problem uh, of the mind, and the mind is the cause of all our sufferings and difficulties, the unconquered mind. Next, when we take up will be uh, starting with text 50, uh, and 50 to 55, those five texts, uh, give the, uh, the six texts, excuse me, those uh, six texts give six misidentified uh, causes of suffering, that is, other people, the gods, one's own self, uh, the astrological planets, the graha, uh, karma, one's fate, and kala, time. And each verse successfully would deal with each one of these and say these are not the, uh, the, the other candidates for the cause of quarrel and, and, uh, and suffering. 
So that's what we'll pick up and finish number fifty. Okay. I'll mark my thing here. I thought I'd get further than this, but uh, Q and A session started. And then uh, next week, that's where we'll start. So now, any questions or comments? We have to get our we have a studio audience. We need to get. What is the best way to control the mind? What is the best way to control the mind? Well, the best way to control the mind is to uh, uh, concentrate the mind. First of all, the best way to first of all recognize the mind is the enemy. Understand that. And then it requires some practice. So uh, uh, one thing to control the mind is, is to make uh, make the Lord the center of our activities. Uh, the mind accepts and rejects. Uh, uh, that's its habit. I usually accept the things that satisfy my own senses of desires, and I reject the things that, that don't. Uh, or uh, here, uh, I accept everything that is favorable for my spiritual advancement. And anything that is unfavorable for spiritual advancement, I reject. So we don't try to kill the mind. We try to purify the mind. Uh, and, and, and so the accepting and rejecting uh, that discrimination takes place uh, in terms of my ultimate goal, which is to become the servant uh, of, of the Lord. That's accepting and rejecting. Then we have particular practices to do that. Uh, many different things, but one of uh, us, the, the, the spiritual discipline, is is those of us that are initiated by, by, by Srila Prabhupada or his followers, we take a vow. We chant the names of God on beads for about a couple of hours a day, 16 times around on the beads with the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra. Now, it, it, it's practicing controlling the mind because the idea is to focus the attention on the names of God. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Now that constant chanting, uh, we understand that these, Krishna and Krishna's name are the same, so that actually we have contact with Krishna. Without just trying to get rid of material things without anything positive, it's extremely difficult. But here we have something positive. This is how... Uh, God is available to us in the form of his name uh, 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 and then the, dis- the discipline is the mind will tend to wander. As soon as it wanders, I bring it back. As soon as I notice it wanders, I bring it back. Uh, this is the practice. Uh, 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 and to do it for consistently and uh, uh, for the for 16 rounds, it usually takes somewhere between one and a half to two hours, depending upon your speed. A dedicated time just to this meditation and prayer. It's both. It's both prayer and meditation. Uh, cleanses the mind. It purifies the mind. First of all, uh, the Lord is present in the mind, and so... He's the supreme pure, so all these other things become uh, uh, become uh, uh, dissipated. All the impurities go away. Yogis sometimes practice meditation by fixing the mind on one thing. Famously, fix the mind on a candle flame. But that won't have the same effect. If you want to fix the mind on one thing, it should be on on, uh, on God. So here, this God in the form of sound, which is very subtle uh, element of sound, uh, this way one becomes purified. So there's a practice, this is a discipline, a spiritual discipline is there to do that. 
uh, until we come to the day that, that uh, uh, now I'm trying to uh, concentrate the mind on God and it goes away. Uh, and I, I find myself concentrating on God some, somehow or other. I'm thinking about I have to change the oil in the car and I don't know how I, my thoughts went off in this way. Uh, but the day will come when I'm trying to think about the, changing the oil on the car uh, when I'm thinking about changing the oil on the car, and uh, and I start thinking about God, I start thinking about Krishna. But without knowing, you know, somehow or other, that's the most important thing. That's this is when the mind becomes uh, you know the, the best friend. So these these are the, the practices that one has to undertake uh, like that. Every spiritual tradition has a discipline like this one way or the other. Of, of 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 trying trying to control the mind and meditation and prayer withdrawal from the world in one way or another. Uh, we, we our diet is very important. Uh, having having a, a pure sattvic diet, uh, all, all these things, and keeping the senses unagitated and control the senses by the mind, like that. Okay. Any other comments or questions? Because you have two questions here. So the first one is, is the sense conveyed by Mama Aham the same as Aham Mameti? Yes, same thing. One, one, uh, Mama, Mama. Aham is dry, and so sometimes the Aham Mama Namaham uh, or anyway, it, it doesn't matter the, the order. It's the same thing. The same thing. Okay, and the second question is, if we're not consciously directing our awareness towards Krishna, his service, etc., is it safe to say that we're operating out of false ego? Or is there a vast gray area between Krishna consciousness and Ahankara consciousness? that you're acting out of false ego, that's the safer, the safer uh, uh, idea. Uh, uh, they basically, I mean, I, it's not that everything I do will be direct devotional service. I have to do other things too, like changing the oil in the car. There's nothing spiritual about going to the garage and getting an oil change. And the activities of a, of, a, of, a, of a spiritual person doing that and the activities of a material person uh, doing that, there may not be much visible difference, although uh, a spiritual person is less likely to lose temper and uh, start a curve for seeing people and things like that. But otherwise, the activity is the same. But if I'm doing this, uh, fixing the car and getting it working, to facilitate my my service to the Supreme Lord, the quality is still different. Uh, it's it's actually also becomes a spiritual activity in the in the sense that I'm doing all of this uh, for the sake of, of God's service. Uh, Prabhupada has a very interesting introduction to the second volume of the Bhagavad Gita that he printed in India. It's not the Bhagavad Gita, the Bhagavatam. The second volume, he said that he, obviously responding to what people have said about him, he has, of course, written this translation and then published the books himself. Uh, and to do that, he had to go into the city, into New Delhi, from Vrindavan, not the holy city, and leave the holy city of Vrindavan and go into Delhi, and he, he describes how he has to go to the papers, the paper merchants, and buy the paper, and go to the printer and get it typeset, and go to the binder and get it binding, and going around. He said, just like I'm an ordinary businessman, uh, collecting money, paying bills, all this, but just like an ordinary businessman. And then people think somehow, oh, we have lost, uh, gone away from the holy place of reclusion and. And pure chanting for this material activity. He says, no, this is also part of glorifying the Lord. The Bhagavatam is not a book for making money or for sense gratification. It is a way of broadcasting 
the glories of the Lord. It's another way of chanting the Lord's glories. And so these activities are not material activities. So that, that is how we aim at the re-spiritualization of the uh, entire, uh, uh, every part of our life. 